grandmother is an artist. I'm not going to suddenly stop doing that because I have children. So you never felt that your mother exploited you or used you or... I took the leap of faith into motherhood. Mother! Oh, God! Mother! I make a better aunt than I would a mother, I think. You know, man, she had to make it like Mary, and there was nothing there. And she does the most difficult job on the planet. She's the mother. Does that sound like a mother already devastated by the death of one son? So knowing how to prepare for Mother Nature's fury can actually save your life. My parents, they hurt my mom. She's going to kill me. Mama, I love you, and we're going to celebrate all hour with a cake. So from Susie's to here, there's a graveyard. It's right across the street from the baseball park. Soon as I was passing that graveyard, I got a call from Susie. She said, Mom died. So she said, you need to come to the hospital. I really didn't want to, but you don't argue with Susie. Martha Tavera died in 2003. She had six children in total, one of whom you just heard. His name is Michael. Susie is his older sister. Now, as she got older, we had to take care of her, between Darlene and Joyce and Susie and myself, um, because she really didn't plan any kind of a retirement. She didn't have anything other than her Social Security. It wasn't just that Martha didn't have enough money to live on. She really couldn't take care of herself anymore. Here's Michael, and then Susie. I think dementia started setting in, and she couldn't drive or anything like that. She would leave the damn stove on overnight. And she would always be calling for her children. And when I'd come, she'd say to me, what did you do with my children? I want my children back. Bring my children back to me. I think that the part of being a parent, she never got. So therefore, she never knew that she got it wrong until much later in her life. Then she began to, to understand in some way that she had done wrong. I don't have any memories of her until maybe I was 21, 22, something like that. From what I've been told, she abandoned me when I was two years old. Michael's other sister, Joyce, is my grandmother. She remembers when Michael was born. She never, never took care of him when he was born because he was her first boy, and he wasn't as cute. So she just put him in the basket, and that's all I remember. When she left, I went through, I would say, an incarcerated childhood. Um, when I say incarcerated, I meant I was just put in boys' schools. One of them was called Junior Village. That was a horrible one. 
Do you, do you have any, like, memories of uh, Junior Village? We all slept in an open area. It was like bunk beds. And I remember the counselor making us listen to classical music. And I remember him coming up to me saying, what is that instrument? I suppose, I mean, I didn't know anything about classical music or instruments, so I suppose I gave him the wrong answer. And he hauled off and smacked the crap out of me. And I, I just remember blanking out and then just kind of waking up. After a series of boys' homes, he graduated with a GED and joined the Army, fought in Vietnam, now does something at the CIA he won't talk about, and which I couldn't guess at. Like Michael, most of Martha's kids didn't finish out their childhoods living with her, and to most of them, she didn't really act like a mother in the traditional sense. I should caveat all of this by saying my own experience is a conventional one. The woman who birthed me is the same woman whose house I grew up in, and for a while at least, she was married to my father. The shape of my family does not contain the experiences of millions of other people whose non-biological mothers are assigned to them, or who they choose later in life, or who never feel like they have one as such. It's not like I grew up with a mother who stayed at home and baked cookies all day shepherding my brother and I from soccer game to play date. That was more my dad's thing. But probably my expectations are still premised on something like this, because culture is powerful. So when I assert to you that Martha didn't behave like a mother, I might sound irritatingly normative, cruel even in the paradigms I'm thereby confirming. What I really mean is... Martha doesn't seem to have been focused on spending the kind of time with her children that we sort of collectively assume parents are naturally, obviously interested in spending with the tiny people they create. Which is a borderline oppressive assumption to make, and I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'm already excited to dad around with my kids in tow, helping them shovel hot dogs down their face and throw themselves into rivers. So the notion that someone, and no less my great-grandmother, could give a shit how often she saw her kids is utterly foreign. Maybe she didn't really want to be a mother. Raw. Chafed. These words describe how Joyce felt to wait in the lobby of her Catholic school for Martha to pick her up like she'd promised two, three, thirty times. Deciding to limp back to her dormitory and relinquish the possibility of Martha breezing through the doorway of her school struck Joyce dumb with sadness, made her feel like a bundle of nerves, blistered from the embarrassment. Also, tied closer to her sister and brothers because of it. They saw each other, sometimes. On these occasions, the specter of Martha hovered just above their heads and gave them something to talk about. Into and through adulthood, they see her in one another's gait or laugh or grimace. Maybe it's just a projection born from the scarcity of Martha's actual company, but Joyce swears she sees her imprint in the marrow of Susie's bones. David listens to Joyce speak and hears her talking to the bartender when he's 12 doing his homework at the counter. They all share in the penumbra cast upon them by Martha's life and do their best to avoid the fate you might ascribe to such an inheritance. 
which basically, fitfully, they succeeded at, together. When Joyce was old enough to be out on her own, she and her husband Bill used to visit Michael in the various institutions he stayed at. We actually tried to uh, become foster parents, and back then the rules were so strict he had to have a room of his own. We didn't have space for that, and so we decided to just see as much of him as we could. So, you know, he says to this day that I was the person that he felt was the most of a mother to him. That happened more than once, actually. Like when Martha abandoned her last kid, David. Susie took care of him. So we were always picking up her pieces. They figured out how to remain close, for the most part. Michael now lives practically up the street from Susie, and they see each other often. The relationships between Susie and Joyce and Michael and their other siblings and their children have evolved and regressed and fractured over the last half century, just like any family. So it's an interesting dysfunctional family that somehow or another... (laughs) Figure something out. I mean, we've hobbled together in our own way. Huh? So it was kind of hard to be angry at her or anything? Like no, I'm not angry. With her. No, I'm at, I'm at peace with her. Totally at peace. But one of the lessons I learned was, you know, with all the abandonment and all the shit I went through, I said, my kids are never going to go through that. Uh, no matter how old they were, if they needed something, I was always there for them. So all the things that I didn't get, whether he's emotional or clothes or whatever, okay, my kids never saw that. So I guess there's something good in everything, you know? So, so it's all good. Many thanks to Matthew Barnes, who produced that piece for us. He's a radio producer in New York City. And if you want to get a hold of him, you can look at his website, matthewbarnes.audio. Yeah, Matt did an awesome job with that piece. That can't have been easy to uh, do a story about your family. Um, You may have noticed also that we have a new intro, a new song, really, that plays underneath the clips in our intro. Amy, that was sort of a big project that you were working on for a while. What about what about that piece of music? Where where did it come from? So that that song was written by Alex Hall. She is a singer-songwriter here in Indianapolis where I live now. And I found Alex at a kind of a community performance event here in town and she came in and she was wearing like a Noodles and Company shirt where she was working at the time. And she had, so she had just gotten off her shift and um she started to sing and I mean the first note out of her mouth gave me chills and her voice is incredible and I was like I want to know her I want to work with her like she's incredible so I sent you like a link to her band camp and I was like listen to this chick she's crazy yep I remember I was like holy crap like there's just something about her voice Mm. it's just like raw and like spare and 
just I don't know, like some kind of truth there. Mm. So. so I tracked her down and I took her to dinner and I said, I want you to write a song for us for our intro. And I didn't hear from her for three months, I think it was. I didn't hear from her and I was like, it's over. She's never going to call me back. She doesn't really want to do it, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And then I ran into her at a community, another community event. And she was like, I'm really close with the song. I'm really, really close. I just, it's just a few last minute things and I was like oh so she's been working on it this whole time so then when she played it for me again the chills it was all there she's absolutely incredible and I'm so glad that she put in the time and the energy and the effort that it took to write the song I like the way it feels to like sing well. It's a super powerful feeling. My name is Alex Hall. I'm 23 years old from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I am a singer-songwriter. I tried to do it alone, but in layman's terms I can. memories like I've always sang I've always been a singer um I remember like walking around outside and like singing about like if there was snow or like butterflies and stuff like that little baby Alex walking around outside singing a song about the snow uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell does that sound like I don't it was just shit just like really cold outside and there's snow like just like dumb <laughs> shit like that like that's or or i'd sing songs i knew on the radio like <clears throat> i loved christina aguilera yeah, i loved loved um tracy chapman like tracy chapman was my favorite even so from- tracy chapman slash christina aguilera like a lot of people don't like they don't overlap but, like i would like that was part of my life as well yeah. with two moms like my mom loved Melissa Etheridge and yeah. DJ loved Tracy Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> and so like there was a lot of that, but there was also just like a lot of music in general for my parents. DJ would always like scroll the station and if ever one of us started singing, she would leave it. So you guys sang in the car. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Um, I So me, Channing and my brother Luke were all, were all like musically gifted, which is strange because our parents are just not. But I think it was the exposure to everything that just kind of like sparked our interest or our, you know, whatever natural talent we had. So I'm super grateful for that. Like my mom and DJ are not good singers at all, not musicians at all, but they they definitely enjoyed it. Um, so Christina Aguilera, what, what was your favorite Christina Aguilera song growing up? Genie in a Bottle and What a Girl Wants. Can we get like a few bars? Oh my god. Uh, Feel like I've been yeah. locked up time in a century of lonely nights. Waiting for someone to release me. You're licking your lips and blowing kisses my way, but that don't mean I'm gonna give it away. Baby, baby, baby. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh. 
My body said, let's go. But my heart is saying no. Yes. Uh, I, wanna... I, I used to do that part with such enthusiasm as a kid, like be like, but my heart is saying no. Like, I, as a, like even as a kid, like having those moments of like looking out the window and pretending you're in a music video type shit, like that was my jam. You did that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's carried with me. Like if I'm like getting ready to go do something or like I, I'll lip sing in the mirror and like perform and like do all that kind of stuff. already have one here's another maybe someday i shall finally recover like in a way it almost physically feels good to create when you're doing it well like it made me appreciate like being alone it helped me reflect on things so it's just so many things and a lot of them are just like seriously indescribable like that's why i feel like it almost physically feels good because like i know it's a feeling but i'm not sure how to articulate it what does it feel like physically when you're writing when you're writing well I say. just like it does it, it physically feels like a ball rolling and like some you know like depending on the way the song feels like you know like it could be like bouncy or you know like just straight down and smooth or it can like i don't know I, I I don't know if that's weird to describe it like that, but it's like it's definitely super physical with me, like the way it feels. So it feels like your body is going on this journey, like either bouncing along or like like traveling down a hill or something like that. Kind of. Um, yeah, almost exactly like that. I picture like like me being like first person or something as the ball and like just like, I don't know, moving and stuff. I'm curious about what it felt like when you were writing this song for us. Cause like in a sense it was a little bit forced, right? Cause I had come to you mm-hmm. and asked you to like write a song that's kind of, I mean, with a lot of like do whatever you want, but also make it real and somehow touch on the theme of mother. Yes. I had been trying to write that song forever and just got like nowhere. And so I was constantly, like, rewriting, rewriting verses, even if it was just, like, small little words. Like, not force myself to like it, but just, like, know that it's not as... It's not, it's not like, as dumb-sounding as I think it is. You know what I'm saying? Or corny, because I always want to shy away from, like, sounding super corny. And a song about, like, relationships, especially with mothers, can get really corny really fast. <laughs> So I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to do that. Yeah, I don't think your song is corny at all. I don't think anybody could call your song corny. Hell yeah, good. And I always swore that I'd never do this, but you killed part of my life, Aaron Jolo. Regain that part of my life, Aaron Joe Lewis.
my mom has like always, always struggled with um, being dependent on like prescriptions and stuff like that. But she was also very understanding and caring and and listening and stuff like a good listener. And I just I knew that she again corny but she's she just wasn't her disease and like I felt like I was like watching someone be really really aware of like how fucked everything is and feeling totally unable to change it and I wanted to write about that other than like because in the past like I had tried to write about her but I didn't I, I was looking at it at a very like bitter standpoint you know, now that I'm old enough to take care of myself and stuff, like, I just, I'm at a point where I just want to, like, see her get out of it. I've learned a lot of valuable stuff. A lot of valuable stuff, like, even going through it. And I think it takes a certain kind of strength even to want a relationship with your kids knowing that it's been not great for a long time like you think she wants a relationship oh yeah I, I know it's super important to her but she it's just it's just not what she's doing right now my mama is flighty like the wind she swears that she never
Alex, I'm so glad to know you. And thank you so much for making this song for us. Appreciate it so much from the bottom of our hearts. I'm speaking for Anne now, too. It really means a lot to us and that you made something original, something that meant something for you and that it goes so well with what we do and isn't corny. I mean, applause. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I feel the same exact way. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's Alex Hall and our very own Amy Gastelum. And you can find more of Alex Hall's music at Halahandro at bandcamp.com. And that's spelled H-A-L-L-A-J-A-N-D-R-O. And Alex is also on Twitter at Alejandro, same spelling. Or if you live in the Indianapolis area, you can catch Alex live at this wine bar where she plays pretty regularly. It's called Tastings, and you can check out the schedule of her performances on their website, tastings.com. So our new intro song is not the only new thing that we have. And care to share? Yes. Um, my son Dave Baby is Dave. here, and so um, wow! I mean, do you remember that episode when I took Bobby, your daughter, and pretended to be a mom yes, with her I just do. to see how people would treat me? And then at the end, I was like, "Well, that was really hard pretending to be a mom." <laughs> and you didn't, you didn't say anything. Why? Why would I? So clueless so clueless I mean I have to say this is hard work like emotionally I mean my back hurts by the end of every day because you're like lifting cute little bundles of joy up and down all the time and bending over diapers and things like that um, it's a ton of work it's a ton of work it and is, it's it is wow <laughs> and it just blows your mind it's not even just the sleep deprivation or just all of the lifting and the cleaning and the, everything else that's involved there's like, it's just like, it, it's as, it asks your brain to like flip upside down. Yeah. So I'm still in the, I'm still in the trenches, um, still trying to figure out <laughs> how to, how to be a mom. But I thought I would record a little something just to sort of share with our audience uh, what's been going on. Okay. So it's four in the morning. My kid is crying. I wanted to, to capture a sense of what it's like uh, in these early weeks of, of motherhood. Okay. Boss, 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 boss. What if he pees on your microphone? That would be very bad. Don't pee on mommy's mic. Wow, that's a lot of pee. I think that's a P plus. Though. P P plus, baby. Oh, yeah. Remember uh, episode one where I said I still didn't know how to change a diaper? Well, that changed fast. Uh, although I can't say that I'm really any good at changing diapers just yet. Those skills are are still developing. Scoot that diaper up. Okay, David Dare, can you spread your legs, please? Mm -hmm. I need to clean right around here. Thank you. Okay, I need to clean your penis. Yes. Yes. Hang on, what's going on with this? Don't move on. What's going on? Everything okay? I think we're okay. Hey, it's Anne again. It's about 11.30 in the morning. 
I've had a couple cups of coffee, feeling good. So another thing I'm still a rookie at, breastfeeding. Come, come, come. You're hungry. Let's eat. Let's eat some food. Food, food, food. Oh, shushu babies. Yeah. Why is it so damn hard? It's supposed to be totally natural. Remember this guy? This guy is your friend. Yeah, look at this. Okay, let's eat. Ready? Ready? We've been struggling with it since uh, week one. Yeah, you got it. Whole bunch of different problems and um, one solution we discovered was uh, breast pumping. So started pumping milk into bottles and feeding uh, feeding Dave that way. And I have to say, my breast pump really saved my ass. I have all new respect for this trusty little machine. We spend a lot of time together, my breast pump and me. Lots of times it's just the two of us up in the middle of the night pumping away while my nipples do that little oompa loompa dance. Sometimes I feel like she's talking to me. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Chill out. Chill out. Chill out. Chill out. And my personal favorite, the redneck breast pump. Wahoo! 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 Yes, my breast pump has a redneck streak. Who knew? Or maybe all of this is just the uh, sleep deprivation. The other interesting thing about breastfeeding is you lose all shame and need for privacy. I mean, I have pulled out my boob in so many doctor's offices in the last month, which is really the only place I go these days. But you know, when your kid is hungry and and doing that sad, imploring, desperate hunger cry, you don't really worry about who sees your boobs. Okay, it's Anne again. It's uh, a little after 6 a.m. About an hour and a half since I got up to do that initial change, diaper change, and feeding. And uh, and yeah, this is not this is not <laughs> schedule that I'm used to. Just one of many big changes in the last um, six weeks since Dave arrived. Even from from week one, I guess one thing kept sort of echoing in my head. Something that um, Amy's grandmother said in uh, one of our earlier episodes. The day that you have a baby, your world changes. You're a different person, and it doesn't matter how you say it. You aren't ever the same, and you needn't try to be. This is so... So true. Quite simply, there is before Dave and there's after Dave. And that change happened in a minute in the operating room when my OBGYN yanked my son out of my uterus and he started screaming and then peed on a nurse. And in that instant, I felt so, so overwhelmed. 
by love for this little person who I'd just met. And I, I've never loved anyone like this before. And it is, it's intense. I mean, it, it scares me a little bit now because I have so much more to lose than I ever did before. But, but I'll take it because it's also pretty damn wonderful. And thank you for making that. I know you're really busy and it's a lot to get out all your gear at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I have to, I I tell you this. Yeah, because honestly, there were so many nights like I had my recorder on the dresser and like I'm like stumbling around mm-hmm. the bedroom, like with my son, like changing diapers and like nursing him. And I'm like, oh, I need to turn on. And I was like, I just could not operate. Can't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Like literally for probably three or four weeks. Yeah, no, I just—it was okay. like zombie mode, um, but it was worth um, <laughs> worth trying to make it happen, <laughs> just to to capture that, right? Because I think once you get through this, it probably doesn't seem real afterwards. I'm just guessing. So, I, I would say for me, it, it it I like did kind of block some things. I think there are things I don't. It's like there are whole weeks I don't remember, and my husband yeah, will like say, last hey, week. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the you. week before. Yeah, my husband would be like, "Remember when blah blah blah?" And I'm like, "No, I don't remember that." It's hilarious. I mean, we only sleep like maybe three hours a night, not mm. in a row. You know, your brain does interesting things. So, well, thank you for sharing that. You got it. The depths, the depths. Yes. Yes, and many thanks again to Alex Hall and Matthew Barnes and Travis at Azmuth Studio, who recorded the song with Alex Hall. Thanks to you, Travis. Anybody else? Uh, should we just say where where to find us? Yes, you go for it. And you can find us and more of our episodes at motherpodcast.com, or you can find us on Twitter at motherpodcast. That's it. All right. I think I'm due for a diaper change soon anyway. All right, cool. I got to go back in and probably play with a puzzle. So, play puzzle. Ooh, that sounds what she says to me. Mommy, play puzzle. Play puzzle. I love it. That is adorable. That is adorable. I can't even imagine words coming out of my son's mouth. mouth. I know, right? Like, wow. Making eye contact would be... Would be incredible. That's like a milestone. I try to force it sometimes, but I don't think it's really happening. It will, though. It will. I know. I know. All right, I'm going to push stop. All right, me too. Bye. Bye.